This is Barry Zalma, Zalma on Insurance. Today we are publishing volume 25, issue number 6 of Zalma's Insurance Fraud Letter on March 15, 2021. From that fraud letter you will see the lead article being, quote, proving fraud by a predetermined treatment protocol and why a RICO action against the medical providers raised some discovery difficulties. Insurance companies who claim to be the victims of health care providers operating in a no-fault auto insurance state like Florida find that they're were faced with the decision called Government Employees Insurance Company versus Mark A. Saraceda, a January 15, 2021 decision of the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida, Miami Division. The complaint asserted 43 counts and attached more than 8,500 pages of spreadsheets as exhibits, specifically GEICO and related GEICO entities, sued chiropractor Mark A. Saraceda, other health care providers, and myriad limited liability corporations which purportedly provided fraudulent health care services. Geico alleged that Saraceda is the managing member and owner of the limited liability corporations. When an insurer sues a health care provider for fraud based on the provider's submission of bills for services rendered pursuant to a predetermined protocol, the insurer is alleging that the provider purported to treat an entire patient population in a cookie-cutter manner, which in fact makes no medical sense, in order to financially enrich the provider by maximizing collection of the plaintiff's insurance benefits. Indeed, in a predetermined protocol case, like that brought by GEICO, Insurers often explain that the fraudulent nature of each bill or claim is not apparent when reviewed in isolation. Proving each of thousands of false bills would be difficult and not cost-effective. That is why courts allow proof by proving predetermined treatment protocols where everyone receives the same treatment. The defendant's demands for discovery, however, chill the opportunity to prove the claimed fraud. Geico alleged that defendants billed it for fraudulent health care services as the assignees of Geico Insured's No-Fault Personal Injury Protection, or PIP, insurance benefits. Geico's lawsuit was based on 456,612 invoices reflecting purported health care services provided to approximately 8,000 patients. During discovery, the defendants propounded interrogatories designed to obtain the specifics of Geico's allegations.
Geico's response was that everything was improper. Specifically, Geico, which is seeking to recover $20 million from Sarasota, provided supplemental interrogatory answers declaring that all charges were fraudulent. Geico contended that it need not provide any further detail because courts have permitted insurance carriers to bring these types of lawsuits by alleging an overall scheme to use predetermined protocols for patients without regard for the individual circumstances of each patient. Defendants filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit, arguing that the court should be skeptical that Geico's shotgun approach of listing every invoice for every patient without delineating which service it is not contesting as legitimately medically rendered can pass muster under Federal Rule 11. United States District Judge Cecilia M. Altonaga denied the dismissal motion. At the hearing on defendant's motion to dismiss, Judge Altonaga ruled that the complaint more than satisfies Rule 12b-6 and that the pleading standards for the fraud-based claims that are alleged in it. Plaintiffs further amended some of their responses with 10 illustrations involving 32 massage treatments, a manual therapy treatment, five hot-cold treatments, five ultrasound treatments, four additional massage treatments, 28 ultrasound treatments, six group therapeutic procedure treatments, five additional ultrasound treatments, four chiropractic manipulation treatments, eight group therapeutic procedure treatments, eight additional chiropractic manipulation treatments, 11 more ultrasound treatments, 17 more ultrasound treatments, 17 more chiropractic manipulation treatments, 12 additional ultrasound treatments, and 12 additional massage treatments. Geico's counsel explained to Judge Goodman that it is, its expert report did not discuss specific patient files or give conclusion on a patient-by-patient -patient basis, but that the expert might, at trial, discuss certain specific patient files in order to explain his conclusions and provide concrete, in-context illustrations of his views. Geico's expert, Dr. James Dillard, whose report represents that he reviewed more than 450,000 invoices concerning approximately 8,000 patients, but none of his opinions or conclusions mention any specific patient file or service. Dr. Dillard's report opined that defendants' practices use predetermined treatment protocols for the substantial majority of their patients, which primarily consisted of medically unnecessary purported services without regard for individual circumstances, the patients subject to these services. He also concluded that in a significant number of cases, 
the purported therapy services evidently were performed by unsupervised individuals who lack credentials to perform the services without direct supervision. Jean Acevedo, one of defendants' experts, opined that there is no evidence to suggest any pattern of fraudulent claims. Federal courts presiding over no-fault insurance PIP fraud cases like this one have held that a plaintiff insurer can establish the absence of medical necessity by demonstrating that a defendant health care provider used a predetermined treatment protocol that resulted in a large cohort of patients receiving substantially similar treatment, regardless of their individualized circumstances. Moreover, courts have rejected the argument that a determination of liability requires a plaintiff insurer to produce some additional individualized proof to demonstrate that each of the health care services at issue was medically necessary. Judge Goodman stated that he was comfortable with the notion that a carrier may, if it wishes, draft a complaint using the protocol theory and then use that approach again at trial. GEICO has already survived a motion to dismiss, and it will presumably be able to get to trial on the same theory of a broad-based fraud based on predetermined medical protocols. GEICO and its experts have not analyzed the case on a patient-by-patient, claim-by-claim, service-by-service basis. It would require a massive effort for GEICO to do that now. Moreover, because GEICO may be able to prevail at trial on this theory, it has no need of its own to generate a comprehensive claim-by-claim analysis. If GEICO were to proceed to trial with only evidence of defendants' overall business model, then the failure to provide specific discovery responses would be understandable. The court, of course, has the power to prevent any unfair result by giving GEICO a choice of how to proceed and by limiting trial evidence, if necessary, depending on which alternative GEICO selects. A court may limit the scope of evidence or theories of liability a party may offer in support of its case based on its discovery responses or expert reports. Adopting that common-sense approach, the court's solution was to give GEICO a choice. One, if it sticks with its chosen strategy of using a nonspecific protocol approach, then its experts will not be able to testify about any specific patient claim or service, even if it is for illustration purposes. Two, If GEICO wants to preserve its ability to have an expert give trial testimony, which mentions in any way any specific claim, patient, or service, then it will need to fully and specifically answer the interrogatories at issue. Given Dr. Dillard's conclusions that are phrased with terminology which seem to reflect a less-than-all assessment of claims as being fraudulent, that is, 
He used words like substantial majority, primarily significant number, large number, and very small percentage. On the other hand, if Geico does not change its approach, but defendants question Geico's experts about specific patients' files and services at either a deposition or a trial, then defendants will have opened the door and given Geico the opportunity to have its experts discuss specifics, whether for illustrative purposes or otherwise. But asking a general question about what the extent expert did or did not do will not cause the door to be opened. If Geico decides to preserve its ability to introduce specific evidence about particular claims or patients or services, then it must provide the comprehensive interrogatory answers within 30 days of giving notice of its strategic solution. An insurer, in my opinion, and in the opinion of Zalma's insurance fraud letter, an insurer alleging fraud based on predetermined treatment protocols should not have to prove that each claim in a vacuum is fraudulent. A middle ground accepted by courts allow insurers to rely on non-credible patterns in providers' bills and documentation to explain globally why groups of claims are fraudulent provided the insurer sufficiently identifies the claims at issue. It can also use specific cases to prove the pattern or fraud, but then it must respond in detail to discovery requests. In that regard, I have seen in my practice medical billing and reporting that was identical to multiple patients except for the name of the patient. When I was asked by a plaintiff's lawyer to act as his expert on two different cases, and both cases involving two different individuals involved in two different accidents with different fact situations, went to the same health care provider, and that health care provider's reports about their injuries was identical except for the name of the patient and the patient's date of birth. That was obviously asking me to work with a person perpetrating a fraud, and I immediately returned the lawyer's retainer and refused to testify on his behalf. If Geico can show that type of fraud, it will have no problem with the RICO action proof and will not need to answer interrogatories about the thousands of individual fraudulent claims. The March 15 issue of Zalma's Insurance Fraud Letter will also contain an article titled, When You Do the Crime, You Must Do the Time about a doctor who unsuccessfully claimed he was a patsy who was talked into helping criminals. Uh, the basic listing of wisdom from various experts. An article about why insurance fraud should not be a retirement plan. 
fraud reports from the Coalition Against Insurance Fraud? Why taking an insurance check and cashing it twice is fraud? And how an insurance fraudster and thief appealed his conviction that required a 35-page opinion that eventually affirmed the conviction, reports of health insurance fraud, and reports uh, convictions, and reports of other fraud convictions, and information about my new book, It's Time to Abolish the Tort of Bad Faith, and my newest book, the compact book of adjusting first-party property claims, third edition, all of which are available from Amazon.com, and the newsletter is available free from Zalma.com. Thank you for your attention.